No, don't tell anybody. But the world is wrong. Yeah. Yeah, it's totally wrong. Yeah. Completely. Like, you know, just, just like, it doesn't even have a concept of what right is. That's how wrong it is. Very wrong. Wrongity wrong. Wrongtacular. Wrong. Hello, Drodgeheads. How's it going? It's 2023, baby. Wow. Who thought we'd survive this long, eh? Two whole millennia and countless other years before that of all this human nonsense. And many a time in that period spent under the gender umbrella, which I suppose is protecting you from the acid rain of actually forming your own identity from your own sense of inner self. You know, not forming it under an umbrella. I'm not having a go at umbrellas, you know, I don't want the umbrella salespeople to write in and have a go at me, especially at this time of year. You're very important people. I'm not having a go at you specifically. I'm just saying that umbrella terms are not always all they're cracked up to be, you know, because you miss out on a lot. Unless it's a rainy day. Yeah, we can go with that. We can, we can, we can go with that. Umbrellas do cost more in the rain, though, if you hadn't noticed. So, it's 2023, and I hope you've had a wonderful time over the festive period, however you celebrate that, if you celebrate that at all. I hope you've had some time to chill and go with the winter vibes, which I've very much been trying to do the last couple of weeks since I took a break from doing the podcast in the middle of December. And I always had the intention to come back from that with a bit of a refresh, a bit of a reboot, if you will excuse the millionth time I've made a pun out of my own name. And it's given me time to reflect. It's given me time to work on other things. I'm very happy to say that I've got a lot of different projects that I'm working on that I'm very excited about that are going to come to some form of fruition this year. And that's kind of influenced, I suppose, the way that I am coming back to do this, having learned from the experience of doing the first nine or so podcasts and all the lead up I had to it last year. So I think one thing I noticed was that basically in the space of doing letters A to H, so the first nine or so podcasts, I completely burned myself out. I'd been preparing for this podcast. I think I had the idea for it itself to do a podcast around gender and then to riff on the word drudge, which I'd can't clung on to whether I personally invented it or not. I don't think I did. I'm not claiming that at all, but it's something that resonated with me that I'd never heard before in common everyday talk. So I thought, yeah, drudgecast about gender that's something that I feel I'm really equipped to explore and I really want to explore and will be both personally and professionally, creatively fruitful for me and hopefully for other people as well. And so I came up with the idea to do that in 2022 and to to do it based around the alphabet, you know, because we LGBTQI plus people are slowly colonising the alphabet, if you hadn't noticed. And... I did on the idea to do it in seasons after talking to a friend about it who said yeah, you don't have to worry about doing it every week just ad nauseum non-stop you can do it in little chunks and that seemed to work for the first go at it so 
had loads of time, probably about six months worth of just reading little bits and making notes here and there and slowly piecing together an idea of how it would work. The voice of it started it in October 2022 and then took a break mid-December and it's now January 2023. So in the space of less than two months or so, with a run-up of about six months prior to that, I managed to completely burn myself out. Like, I didn't want to do it anymore. I was starting to make mistakes. I was starting to get closer and closer to the Sunday evening, midnight, night before uh, this goes out on a Monday. And I felt that was compromising both what I wanted to achieve with it and I, what, what I want you, the listener, to get out of it. So it was kind of the emotional drive of it and the also point of it was starting to fragment a little bit because I wasn't giving myself enough space really to to do it justice and that's not to say I'm going to stop doing it on a weekly basis entirely but what I think at least for now what I think at least for now I've decided to transition towards in true trans non-binary style always evolving is to focus on a different letter per month so that won't necessarily mean that there's just one episode per month. There might be one, two, three. It kind of depends what the focus is. And I hope we'll allow for the quality to stay where I've pitched it, which is really well researched and trying to bring as much life and weirdness and humour and satirical eyes to it as I can. And allow space for other things as well because I would say if I can describe what I do in any way or things that I feel my expertise lies in is is writing and synth- synthesizing things so that means you know it might be a question of synthesizing that might be a question of synthesizing more like sort of novel or short story type writing with a podcast situation might be synthesizing music and something that's kind of has more of a stage show feel you know synthesizing music and comedy synthesizing lots of different things that i'm interested in synthesizing spoken word or poetry that's what i feel i'm best at as a synthesizer and i don't think i had the space to do that thus far um just kind of slowly things getting more and more on top of me and i felt the quality was gonna if it hadn't already started to dip and that's not where I want to be for myself. It's not where I want it to be for you, people who listen to this, people who hopefully get something out of this, who it res- I hope it resonates with and you hear yourself in it or it opens up questions for you. So yeah, this will give me space to do other things like, you know, do like shorts, to do videos, to do to do music, to do, do bits of reportage, do bits of reportage, you know, because I'm the worst. And I feel that will keep the ambition of what this is, which is to be really... which is to be really searching, really questioning and really playful as well with gender and all that it can mean because when things get on top of you that's when you start to lose your playfulness that's when you get out of that child mode where I think all great creativity comes from we're in that flow state where you're not analysing something whether is this good, is this a thing as we know from gender that is 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 wired into us at this point of society is it what is this thing is it is it a thing yet what is it it must be a thing what type of thing is where do i put it in the where do i put it in the world of things you must be a thing you must be something and 
that's not good for being in a state of play. Uh, not that kind of that kind of that kind of existential pressure. You need to just be able to go, okay, I like the spark of this, and I'm going to run with it and just get lost in it and see where it goes. You don't have time to do that. I didn't have time to do that when I was setting myself an unrealistic, what became an unrealistic set of pressures of churning out a podcast that was really well researched, really in depth, really entertaining, really unique every week. That just wasn't happening. That was that was starting to fall away. So I had to get all the reads together in my head because uh, there are a lot of different voices that that one that one one that says, "Yeah, you got to do just no, it's fine, just keep going. You're all it's great. You, you'll get there." And ones that go, "No, this is a complete waste of time. You're just absolutely destroying everything. Why? Why nobody wants you to do this? Why are you doing this? This is just ridiculous. Nobody cares about gender, especially not your particular take on it. Why are you doing this?" Um, and then there's just one voice that just sits in the corner and doesn't really say anything. Um, it's not really an inner voice at this point, really, is it? It's sort of just an inner void. Um, I got all the reads together and we had a reassessment of what was really going on. Really. Yes, we did ha- talk about my habit of shoehorning my own name as a syllable into everything, and we decided that we decided we would let that slide. You know, we're fine with it. We know we may have lost your respect at this point, but to stop doing it, no, nah. we refuse, we resist, re. So, this is a necessary move. I feel to transition to doing a letter per month, both for my sanity and for the quality and reach of this podcast and all I do around it. I want it to be worth your support. I want it to be worth your attention, worth your donations. I want it to serve as many people as I can in the best possible way that it can. You know, but it also has to serve me because I was pushing myself too far and much too hard. And this podcast, ironically, is all about self-acceptance, self-love, self-appreciation, and sharing in that, empowering ourselves and others to own ourselves. And I felt really that that kind of relentless churn of productivity was starting to own me. And this opens up a whole can of worms of things that I really had to grapple with over the last six months in particular of where does your worth come from? And if you're a creative person, I believe that we are all creative people because what else is human society other than creation of things, you know? If you come from a religious perspective, I'm sure you can vibe with that because, you know, God created Earth in God's image and all the things that God decided to be. That's the religious perspective. And then I suppose a more, I suppose a more potentially atheistic or agnostic perspective is that human beings are self-created or are created by nature, wherever nature comes from, wherever human beings desire to self-create comes from. But it's all about creation, whichever perspective you're looking at. Um, I love this quote that I heard on a on a faith walk I did years ago, uh, and we ended up in a Sikh temple. And one of the senior members of the Sikh community was giving a talk, and he said this line that stuck with me, and I think it's so beautiful because it it both because it, it expresses both his own unique view on the world from a Sikh perspective, but also allows other people to have their own views and to respect that. He said. You know, whether you're religious or not, whatever your view and take on the world is, we're all looking at the same light. We're just looking at it through a different window. And that's that's what it is, isn't it? You know, we've got our own we've got our own windows, our own eyes. Um, I've got I've got double glazed windows because I wear glasses or lenses because I've got a wonky eye. 
um, you know. So we all see through we all see through our own lenses, our own windows, our own, our own perceptions, our own understanding of consciousness. But basically, we're looking at the same thing, which is life, and we make of it that light, that life, what we will. I think what the conclusion a lot of people have come to from a creative perspective in a capitalist world in an increasingly avaricious, aggressive, relentless capitalist world is that you are only worth something if you are creating, you know, and that worth is being whittled away day by day, especially in things, especially going through really heavy, challenging times like the cost of living crisis and trying to transition to a green economy what that means it just it, you can so easily get lost in the sense that I am only worth something if I am churning something out if I am producing something that I am basically a factory that society expects to produce stuff and that is ridiculous because you know there is a strong capitalist element which cannot be removed from the gender debate because gender just put you on a production line basically you know, where you're supposed to be the highest performing doll in your assigned gender, you know, you know, you could be a Ken doll, you, you're supposed to rise to be a CEO and a leader and a fighter and have a, 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 a you know, a plastic six pack and, and, and a sort of, and have strangely missing genitalia, you know, that's, that's the, that's the um, Ken doll gender performing role that you're supposed to aspire to if you're a man. And if you're a woman, you're, you know, you're, you're the Barbie doll, you write, you write, you're supposed to rise to be a carer, a homemaker, a beauty queen. And obviously, that all of that is being challenged and pushed beyond. But, you know, these are the kind of... That is the production line that you are put on in, when, when it comes to gender. And and I, I know people experience it from, from a, from a trans, trans perspective, certainly. You know, you're coming into your... You're, you're coming into your true gender identity. And then there's a sense of, like, oh, you're not woman enough. Or you're not man enough. Or you're too female or your tomb uh, masculine whatever it is there's this sense that there's you know these these clear lines that you're on and these clear images that you're meant to aspire to your Ken dolls your Barbie dolls whatever it is and and with non-binary people as, as well there's the sense of like well you're not gender fluid enough or you're too gender fluid and it's all about this sense of like you know trying to as you're, you're being expected to aspire and reproduce a image of gender that is acceptable to society and is like yeah that's the product that's got value yeah yeah more of that please and it's just this constant pressure that i know we all feel to be constantly productive constantly creating especially with the advent of the internet and social media and smartphones in our pockets you know constantly justifying ourselves to the world that we are valuable look at me look at me look what i did does that mean i'm valuable now and it doesn't matter how much you do if you look to the world, to capitalist society, to gender norms for validation and self-worth, you'll never have enough. You'll never be enough. That's the, that's the inherent trick of capitalism. And I would argue as well, gender norms and gender practices and gender stereotypes is that you're never going to be enough. You know, your muscles could always be bigger. Your, your boobs could always be bigger. Your body could always look differently. Your, your voice and your mannerisms could always be more so. You know, you're never going to win. So that's why for me, and such a driving force of this podcast is, that means accepting that you are limitless in terms of what you can be. You are not limited by a, 
a role or a product that you're supposed to represent. You know, you and yourself are enough. You know, who you are is enough. You don't have to aspire to be anything else. It's And it's that weird balance between accepting that you are limitless, but that you also have physical limitations. So for this podcast, I had to accept, come to terms with, yes, I am limitless in terms of what I can become in myself and express through my gender identity. But I have physical limits. I need to sleep. I need headspace. I need to let the creative well refill from time to time you know otherwise I'm just going to be no use to anybody least of all myself and that was a real reckoning with something I've struggled with for a long time and I think it's a pretty universal thing that people will express it and experience it in different ways for me it was a sense of I want to be creative because that's what really charges me and fuels me but increasingly over the last 10 years exploring different forms of creativity doing lots of different types of gigs and shows and pushing myself to occupy different areas and 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 pushing what I was capable of that was already great but I often was more obsessed with the sense of oh I need to do this because that will basically what I was saying to myself by whenever I was taking on a project or pushing myself to do something was I am only going to be worth something if I do this if I don't do this if I I don't know, have a quote-unquote normal job or have some time off, whatever it is. If I'm not creating and churning stuff out and showing myself to the world and go, look at me, look at what I did, look at how I expressed this thing, look at what I created, then I'm not worth something. That was ultimately how I thought of myself and that really affected my mental health, my sense of self, the space I felt I was able to occupy and where I felt I was going in my life and... It's come. It's taken to come into the right at the end of my 20s, looking ahead to being 30 and older, and just really reminding myself of why I do that in the first place. Because I don't. I. I thought that like I, I thought that I wanted to be someone who was famous because I thought that's what you had to be in order to get that validation and respect and to be worth something. But the great thing about the internet and the platforms and apps that have come as a result of it is that more and more people increasingly are making the kind of equivalent that you would make in a small town having a shop you know like running an art store or running a or running a hardware store but you know someone's doing a channel about looking at uh, philosophy issues like someone like philosophy tube for example or someone's looking at like beauty products or whatever it is someone's looking at history you're able to eke out a living and sometimes a really a really good one or just have a a way to express yourself and that is a wonderful thing but then it does kind of open this Pandora's box which comes along with the association again you're only worth something if you're churning stuff out look at everybody else look what they're doing you know why aren't you doing something that's what I took on and held on to and it's bollocks because not only was I chasing something I would never hold on to because it was coming from outside so the goalposts, the boundaries were always going to change. I was also not having fun anymore. I was doing stuff because I felt I had to and trying to kind of, you know, G myself up and be like, yeah, this will be really good and like it will it will push me and it will introduce me to new things and have cool experiences. But I wasn't able to enjoy the experiences to properly connect with the people I was working with because I was thinking about it from a, a value perspective, like what am I getting out of this? What is? What does this say about me? What will people think of me? 
where's that validation coming from? When the validation should really have been coming from myself, to myself, in the mirror, in my internal mirror. But it wasn't. And I needed to, to just have that stop. And I think that could only have come on the back of a couple of years of the pandemic where it was all different kinds of things for different people, of course, but and I think there was a commonality of people reassessing their lives and making, trying to make changes or being much more aware because, you know, when you're just presented with yourself or a very limited world every day, you're very much, you're much more aware of what is really not going right in your life or where you're, you feel there's, there's friction or stuff you need to move past or stuff that keeps reoccurring, revisiting. And then 2022 comes and everything reopens again and you almost instinctively go back into the mode you were perhaps been before, certainly I was in before, of you know, just going going through the motions, just churn stuff out, just do, 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 do the things. But even more so because we've been deprived of that freedom and that, so, that connection for a couple of years. So you kind of go into overcharge and I felt like I was just just doing all the right things but not really doing them for the right reasons. So had to just stop, take that time to take stock and reiterate to myself that I am not ultimately defined by what I create and what I put out into the world. I am ultimately defined by me, how I feel about myself, how I occupy the space in the world that I have and how I am to the people around me, particularly those that are most important to me and how I value those connections with them and value the connection with myself. And really that is the ultimately most important thing. That's probably why, you know, it can come across as this woo-woo, hippy-dippy, universal, spiritual, wango-jango, because that's the kind of thing that, you know, adverts and products would like to sell to you, you know, that you really are the best thing for yourself. But of course, they can't tell you that. They can imply that, they can layer that over the top. If you peel back the layer, it's just a little, a little bumper sticker saying, please buy this thing, you need it. But you don't really, because you're really great and you have intrinsic self-worth, but you, seeing as you know that, I can just buy this product as well, you know, because you're so great, you've got so much self-worth that, you know, you can just treat yourself to this thing. That's the problem, because we have priorities in buying things and churning things out by having products and being products ourselves. So, nah, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that because it's made me miserable and it's really detracted from the fun of what I actually enjoy, uh, which for me is looking at the world and laughing at it and questioning it and poking it and prodding it and trying to understand it. It's coming from a place of inquisitiveness, but also a place of playful mocking. It's like, isn't it really interesting that we all have separated into these two camps that are basically centered around what we have between our legs, or it seems that way. Is that what it is really is? Oh no, it doesn't seem to be like that actually, when you break it down and people don't actually seem to know where gender comes from. Isn't that funny? Isn't that weird? That's what really drives me and a lot of the things I do, obviously that's what I do with this podcast, but it also comes up in themes of stuff that I write, whether that's fiction or stuff for the stage, uh, or whether it's music, or little comedy pieces, poetry, spoken word, whatever. I just can't stop myself from doing it. And that doesn't mean that I am basically saying that I am just a factory for creativity and things. And But the difference is that I, I, I have tried to return to that sense of play and joy because that's, that's what everything should be about, ideally. We have to do things to earn a living. 
that we don't necessarily want to do sometimes, all of the time. We have to do things that we don't want to, but we need in our lives those things that we do purely for joy, and we preserve and respect and celebrate that joy, even if it's completely stupid. Like, so much of things that we love. Uh, I was watching a Bill Bailey comedy special last night, and I was thinking, he's in the Royal Opera House, and he's doing a little skit in German, where he's doing earlier bits of the show, but in German, and he's got a bin, uh, a wonder bin, a wunderbin, that he presses the little pedal on, and it opens, and there's a shard of light that comes out, and it goes, oh. I was like, this is great, but it's completely stupid. It's completely pointless. What does this, this doesn't offer anything to us surviving, you know? What would a hunter-gatherer have made of that? Not to say that the hunter-gatherers had it all right, you know, but it's complete luxury. That's what John Cooper Clark said about poetry. It's bloody luxury. Poetry. You don't need it, but then it makes life better. And so we all need those things that bring us joy and fascination and make the world sparkle, make it magical, make us feel good, even if they're completely ridiculous, especially if they're completely ridiculous. That's what it ultimately comes down to. It's just doing things for the sake of it. And I think, you know, it's just occupying your own skin for the pure sake of knowing that you have value and not assigning that value to something outside of yourself, whether that's a job or person, other people, a sense of a audience that you might have or be wanting to attract. Like, sure, we have to reckon with those things, but like, that is not where value comes from. Value comes from within. Because people mirror you ultimately, you know. If you love yourself, people will see that and react accordingly. They will treat you with more respect. They might treat you with more with more caution, it might be quite intimidating. You can't control the reaction, like you can't control where that value comes from and how satisfying it is if you put it into other things, other people, you know? But people will be drawn to that positive energy that you exude and yeah, like I said, some people will be threatened by and jealous of self-love because not a lot of people have it in this world, I'm sad to say, you know? And if you hate yourself, if you don't value yourself, people will again see that and react accordingly. I know this from my past experience where I've been in a place of lacking in self-worth and self-value and I've been exploited. I've, you know, had creative relationships that didn't go anywhere and I felt, why am I doing this? I'm just doing this on somebody else's say-so's basis and I wasn't able to challenge that or, or strive for something better because I didn't love or value myself. So people will feel repelled by that kind of negative energy that comes from a place of lacking in self-worth or people who wish to abuse it or manipulate it will feel drawn to it you know that is a part of the attraction laws that we follow whether consciously or unconsciously and that's what i'm driving at and why i'm taking this this hot minute pause to reassess is that it all comes down to self-worth and self-value and knowing where to put boundaries up and value yourself. And for me, that's come in the form of revisiting how I do this and to keep the quality up for myself and for you and to say to myself like, yeah, I wanna keep doing this and I'm gonna keep doing it to the best of my ability, but I'm not just doing it because I feel I have to in order to be worth something. Now, I think that's a good point to take the little gender lewd. A pause in the show where you may hear some adverts trying to sell you stuff because as I've been saying, you are all products who must either have products or be products yourselves. You are just human churning creative factories and that's um, what adverts want to tell you. But um, yeah, have fun.
See you in a few. This podcast is supported via Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash drodge, that's D-R-O-D-G-E, you can support the podcast from as little as £2.50 a month and get involved in this evolving community around all that is, was, and may be gender. Quality over quantity is, I feel, the most important factor here. Here on Earth, here in ourselves, here in this little moment I am talking to you now. Why I've decided to reposition the gender goalpost somewhat on this Drodgecast adventure. So we will have a different letter each month, which might mean one big long podcast a month. Uh, They're probably not, because that would be a particularly lazy month. And I'm not a very lazy person. I am a recovering workaholic, I have realised. But... It will be more likely one or two, maybe three podcasts a month and some stuff on the socials as well. So if you go and follow us at Drodge UK on all the socials, I may even experiment with Twitch if my social anxiety doesn't get the better of me. I don't know how you can have social anxiety online. It's quite an interesting phenomenon that I have genuinely got some experience of, but that's where you can find us, at Drodge UK. And there'll be podcasts, there'll be shorts, there'll be music. This has given me all space to re-explore that. And I've been really blessed that I have had projects, as I mentioned earlier, starting to come up and which I can throw myself into, which I'll be able to announce more in the coming weeks and months. But really, it is about broadening, again, what I do. It's really important, I think, to have and own these moments and not be ashamed to acknowledge where you you mess up. I think that's not necessarily the most accommodated for space in the creative... Uh, online worlds whatever medium you experience it in to go yeah I was kind of doing that wrong and I was just driving myself into the ground like a like an ostrich trying to be a digger you know and um, it was quite painful at times and I don't and I don't want it to be quantity over quality you know I would rather do I'd rather do one for an entire year and it to be absolutely spectacularly brilliant than do 365 and then to all be either terrible or mediocre no no I'm taking the me out of mediocre deocre yeah suck on that capitalism tells us that it's quantity 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 that's the most important thing growing GDP doing more buying more things the next thing the next phone whatever it is it's like no quality is the thing we need to really reassess our values there As one of my all-time favourite musicians and my spiritual father figure, Tom Waits, as he says, We are buried beneath the weight of information which is being confused with knowledge. Quantity is being confused with abundance and wealth with happiness. And following on from that, it makes me think of the Terry Pratchett story of The Boots from his book Men at Arms. The reason that the rich were so rich, Vimes reasoned, was because they managed to spend less money. Take Boots, for example. He earned $38 a month plus allowances. A really good pair of leather boots cost $50. But an affordable pair of boots, which was sort of okay for a season or two and then leaks like hell when the cardboard gave out, cost about $10. Those were the kind of boots Vimes always bought and wore until the soles were so thin that he could tell where he was in Ankh-Morpok on a foggy night by the feel of the cobbles. But the thing was that good boots lasted for years and years. A man who could afford $50 had a pair of boots that'd still be keeping his feet dry in 10 years time. 
while the poor man who could only afford cheap boots would have spent $100 on boots in the same time and would still have wet feet. This was the Captain Samuel Vimes' boots theory of socio-economic unfairness. You see, capitalism is a sickness and a joke and a crime, basically. I mean, there are being more positive changes made to having repair shops, repair cafes, and for people to buy less. People don't really have as much choice these days in those matters anyway, because when the inflation isn't keeping up with the rise in wages and, and everything costing more, you know, you don't really have much choice to buy less. Which ironically is capitalism cutting off its own nose despite its own face. Because if you are, as this conservative government seems to be, the one that's been in power for the last 12, 13 years, so obsessively bound to this idea that the market always knows best, that business should be championed above all, and basically rich people should be made more rich and more powerful, it's really stupid. It's, there's, I've been talking with friends recently about this concept of intelligent people doing really stupid things which only an intelligent person can do. You know, sometimes it takes an intelligent person to do something so spectacularly intelligent that it's also stupid, which is a paradox and I love paradoxes. But basically in this point, what I'm saying is, you know, to, to continually make the rich richer and richer means that the poor actually have less disposable income and freedom to buy things. Hmm. So you're basically saying, yes, we need to champion business and give them more tax breaks and more freedoms because it's good for the economy. But it's only good for a very tiny proportion of the economy. And you also whittle away public services so people can't get the bus to work easily or they can't rely on public transport and therefore the country is less interconnected and therefore productivity suffers and people are in much more precarious working situations and they have less money and less desire, less inner self-worth and happiness to go out and say, oh yeah, I'm gonna treat myself to this, or I'm gonna buy myself this, or I'm gonna take a little holiday. So then you have things where people, uh, as I've learned through another reason why the internet can be really great, is sharing information. Uh, from watching videos by the former city trader Gary Stevenson, Gary's Economics, talking about why you know, basically, the more money you give to rich people, the worse it is for everybody because rich people, in order to hold on to their money, invest in property, and that means that it's much harder for the average person to own their own home, and therefore rent prices go up, there's much more precariousness, and obviously that has a massive impact on the rest of society. So it's this thing of doing something very smart. I'm, I'm, I'm making things work better for me, so I have more money and more power. Good for you, you're a very intelligent person. However, you've done something incredibly stupid because you're just going to make your life as well as everybody else's much more complicated and miserable in the long run capitalism and there are certain rebuffs to that idea that you know you don't have to go along with capitalism there are more ways of you know and i i, I think i think the creative arts and certainly my experience of it is that people are generally very giving and supportive and not expecting much in return because it is a, a skill share economy and a experience share economy I've been really fortunate to talk to people who have more experience in certain areas than me, to learn from them, which I can then use for my own career, my own projects. And it's kind of beautiful, like kind of almost like uh, informal bartering system. Like, you know, I'll, I'll, give, I'll help you with this skill if you help me with this. You know, I love that. And another way which is challenging capitalism really in its most aggressive form as we're experiencing at the moment is the Patreon model. And it's beautiful. It's, it's 
Obviously, obviously the, the word Patreon comes from patronage, from patronising something. And that's how historically artists would make a living, have enough money to creatively grow and try things. Like, one of the best examples of this, which I have a personal connection to, is the patronage of Richard Wagner, who was a German composer in the 1800s, who, if it wasn't for the patronage of King Ludwig II of Bavaria, otherwise known as Mad King Ludwig, who I then, because of a very striking physical likeness between the two of us, went on to use as a stage character, hence I know the story, Mad King Ludwig didn't really get music, but for some reason he absolutely loved Richard Wagner, and basically gave him all the money he could possibly need, so he lived a very extravagant life, having come from a very poor background, and Ludwig built opera houses for him to house his work and basically funded his whole career. And that's the model you used to have. It's That's kind of a very extreme example of that, but Patreon is basically the same. It's people saying, I like what you're doing, I'm going to give you a little bit of money to keep doing it. Good for you. Thanks. It's beautiful because it is much more affordable in many ways and much more personal and it's beautiful. That's why I chose it as the way to do this so there could be much more of a connection between me and what I do and the people that like it and want to support it. Yeah, and it's also a way where you can have in an increasingly difficult environment creatively to sustain a living, you know, as someone who's tried to break into the music industry over the years, it's become increasingly hard with the advent of streaming, you know, where where really talented, quite well-known musicians are not making any money from their streams. It's absolutely insane. Like, I remember hearing, uh, I remember hearing something like Akon, the guy who did that song, I'm So Lonely, and other, and other stuff. I don't know loads of his work, but I was really struck by it because I knew he was very famous and very successful, saying that he only earned, like, $4,000 from, you know, millions of streams of one of his songs. And um, I watched the really great series on Netflix called The Playlist about Spotify and it's really brilliantly done because it's the playlist seemed to be the unique selling point of Spotify in its final successful form you know that you could personalize it to yourself and you could take all these songs and you know have that house them in your own personal digital record collection and the episodes are seen from a different perspective whether that's Daniel Eck the guy who came up with the technology behind it or the idea behind it whether it's one of the programmers whether it's one of the investors whether it's a musician that he knew and then fought for rights in Sweden for artists to get paid better for streaming it's really beautifully done and just shows you that any story has an infinite number of different perspectives on it based on who is looking at it and why because of things like Spotify and the deals that the record labels have done with streaming platforms like Spotify to be able to be able to basically not collapse completely the the party that has been the most adversely affected, that has been most screwed, is the artist, the person actually creating it in the first place. So that's why a model like Patreon is beautiful, because it's celebrating the artist first and foremost. You know, of course, Patreon will get a small cut of every donation, of every fee that goes to the artist. It's similar with Bandcamp for musicians specifically. It's a way of championing the artist and putting their work at the centre of it, acknowledging it that they're their platform wouldn't exist without the artists and the stuff that they create in a way of saying yeah this is going directly to the artists you're basically going into an internet shop an online shop where they sell all their stuff and you're saying yeah i'll buy that or yeah i'll subscribe i'll have a monthly membership and that means people can actually make a living or have something of a side hustle that isn't 
really unpredictable and coded and locked up within an algorithm will say, well done, you've earned 79p for this month's streams. How many streams did you have? Oh, millions of them. Well done, you. You know, just to kind of like turn basically a whole industry into, into a hobby, an art project, a kid's art project that you do on the side. So yeah, it's great. And, and, and an artists need to not be those creative churning factories. That seems to be what Spotify wants to turn music into is just content and it's not like a news program you know that's not what creative people should be you know just saying like today we're talking about this and then and this happens so we're doing this and bada bum 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 just 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 day after day after day after day no that's not how creativity works that's not how people work it needs to be quality over quantity it needs to have time to to build and develop to make mistakes and to fail on your way to succeeding ultimately and you need to be allowed space to leave something for yourself and to regenerate and replenish and to refill your creative bucket, basically. I was watching the film Pride again uh, the other week, which is a really wonderful British film about the, the insane but true story of a lesbian and gay rights group from London supporting a Welsh mining community during the miners' strike in the 80s. I'm forming this most unlikely, wonderful bond of solidarity. Basically, the lesbian and gay group saying to them, you're going through crap. We know you probably don't like us because of, you know, society and the whole issue around AIDS and many other things besides, I'm sure. But we know you're going through a tough time. We want to support you and all the buffers and boundaries and issues to get to that point. But it's so... It's so tear-jerkingly heartwarming because it's just it just spoke to me so much. It's just about coming together from the most unlikely places around a common idea of you need help. We know what it's like to be persecuted, so we're going to help you. And that to be then reciprocated. You know, the beauty of solidarity, basically. And that's what the LGBT community is all about. That is what the unions are all about, basically. It's a wonderful, wonderful story. And there's a bit in the film where the lead activist on the minor side, played by Paddy Considine, is speaking to the lead activist on the lesbian and gay rights side in the small Welsh town, which is the heart and soul of the story. And the lead activist on the minor side says to the lead activist on the lesbian and gay side, don't give it all to the cause. Leave some for hope. And I think it's something that's so easy to forget these days. When there are infinite ways to occupy ourselves, distract ourselves, unprecedented opportunity for creative people via the internet and social media to be a bunch of show-offs, you know? And ironically, that line, leaving something for home, the last episode I did last in the last year was H's for home. So, you know, I got some ironic self-karma right there. If you don't leave some for yourself, if you don't, take yourself off that treadmill whatever it is you're doing whatever it is you're creating whatever it is you're focusing on in your life that leads to burnout and then life becomes really small and miserable and not worth living that leads you to feel crucially that you are only worth something if you're creating something or if you're you're only worth something if you're putting yourself out there you're standing up for something you believe in and yes we all want to be able to do those things in our lives but we don't have to do it all the time we don't have to put that face up to the world, that carefully curated image that, look at me, look what I'm doing, aren't I worth something, aren't I brilliant? We all need to leave some for home. Otherwise, we become machines ourselves, 
would become factories designed only to churn out and churn out and churn out and ultimately, home leaves us. Because home is not for churning out and producing things, home is for holding and giving warmth and being a place that you can feel safe and free and to experiment or just to rest, whatever it is you need, you know. You know, society may want you to turn yourself into a machine or a factory, but remember, you are always a home within yourself. That's what I was trying to get out in the last episode, but within the context of what I was going about and how I was trying to do this podcast and not prioritizing those things myself, I really needed to say that to myself the most, I think. Our sense of home is in ourselves. Our value comes from within. That is and will always be true. Whether you're struggling with gender identity or something else entirely, your value comes from yourself. You know, just think about think about the example of the film Pride. And it was true on both sides. They were both wrestling with this idea of like, where does their value come from? Society is telling that value comes from outside. It's like, no, your time is over. You don't matter anymore. The minds are closing. No, you don't matter because you're a certain identity, because you do certain things, because you are this person. You don't matter. What matters is these roles, these production lines of gender and work and anything else that you can call yourself and anything else that you can be called. That's what matters. You don't have value. And they both came together and said, actually, we do have value. We have intrinsic value. So that is the MB Festo for 2023. Do less more better. Do less more better. Do less more better. Do less more better. So do less more better. That is what I say for 2023. And remember your intrinsic self-worth. Remember that home within yourself. Because if you've got that, no one can take it away from you. And I think gender questioning people need that in particular. I certainly know that I do. And by doing less and more better, I'm going to be able to actually share more with you, ironically, in the coming weeks and months. So next month, it's going to be the letter J, J for February. And we'll take it from there. I really hope you can continue to join me on this journey. That was nice. I did a little bit of synergy with the letter J. I didn't even mean to do that. Woohoo! I hope you're giving yourselves a break more balance if you need it and let's just all do less more better see you next time Drodgeheads for now much love and all the gender Drodgecast is a production by Barosh Voices for Drodge label without label